0: Radio
1: Catskill. Fire. I to burn. This is Rosie Starr for Radio Catskill. Welcome to Farm and Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, Keith Hubbard's Star Talk Report says there are three planets that are lined up in the evening sky, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. Sweetwater fishing guide Evan Padua has a Hooked on Fishing report for August in the warm waters of the Upper Delaware River. Stephanie Phillips visits Wild Roots Farm in Livingston Manor to speak with owner Wes Gillingham. In her segment, Now You Know, we'll hear about Wild Roots production diversity. All of that coming up on today's Farm and Country. But first, news headlines from NPR.
2: Live from NPR News, I'm Dale Wilman. A few dozen abortion rights advocates gathered in Tucson Friday afternoon after a court hearing on whether to allow Arizona's abortion ban to take effect. Member station KJZZ's Alyssa Resnick reports.
3: Melissa Garcia with Planned Parenthood in Tucson, who was there outside the court, said she struggled to find sex education resources growing up. And I think within our Latinx communities, communities of color in general, the reality is is that banning abortion will not make abortion go away. Garcia said instead, bans will lead to more confusion and stigma. Arizona's pre-statehood law makes all abortions illegal, except to save the life of the pregnant person. A new law banning most abortions after 15 weeks goes into effect next month. State lawyers argue both laws can exist simultaneously. Planned Parenthood argues averting to the pre-statehood law will add to the legal confusion. Pima County Superior Court Judge Kelly Johnson is expected to issue a ruling in September. For NPR News, I'm Elisa Resnick in Tucson.
2: According to an independent autopsy released Friday, a 23 year old black man from San Bernardino, California, was shot seven times in the back while running away from police. As Jonathan Linden from member station KVCI reports, Robert Adams' funeral will be held today.
4: The autopsy report comes one month after Adams was killed by San Bernardino police. The shooting occurred after two officers in an unmarked vehicle responded to a complaint of an armed man in the area.
0: Justice for, Rob. Justice for
4: Rob. Justice At a news conference with Adams's family Friday, Justice civil rights attorney Ben Crump revealed all seven shots entered Adams's back.
0: There was no reason for them to shoot this black man running away from them seven times.
4: Crump says the family intends to file a lawsuit. The San Bernardino Police Department has not released their investigation and has made no comment on the autopsy report. For NPR News, I'm Jonathan Linden.
2: American officials are warning of increased risks following tensions around Taiwan as China continues to mount military drills around the self-governed island. China has increased its military movements in the region after two high-profile U.S. visits to Taiwan. NPR's Emily Fang has more.
0: U.S. Air Force Secretary Frank Kendall told reporters during a visit to Guam this week that China's military maneuvers were dangerous. He said they are very provocative and they increase the level of risk. After House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited Taipei earlier this month, China launched missiles over the island and has been flying fighter jets near Taiwan on a daily basis. Assistant Secretary of State for East Asia Daniel Crittenbring told reporters the ongoing Chinese drills showed, quote, the People's Republic of China overreacted and its actions continued to be provocative, destabilizing and unprecedented. Emily Fang, and Peer News.
2: The U.S. is purchasing about 150,000 tons of grain from Ukraine over the next few weeks. It'll be shipped to parts of the world where the threat of hunger has grown since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. This is NPR. This is Rosie Starr. Welcome
1: back to Farm and Country. Coming up on today's show, Sweetwater fishing guide Evan Padua has a Hooked on Fishing report for August in the warm waters of the Upper Delaware River. Stephanie Phillips visits Wild Roots Farm in Livingston Manor and continues her conversation with West Gillingham. In this segment now you know we'll hear about Wild Roots farm production. But first, here's Keith Hubbard with a Star Talk report. Thank you for joining us on Radio Catskill for this week's locally produced Farm and Country.
3: And country. I'm Keith Hubbard, and this is Star Talk. This week, the three farthest naked eye planets arc across the sky. Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn will line up from east to south. This is not that unusual. The three planets can often be seen together in the sky. What is unusual is that they appear in the order of their distance from the sun. You will have to wait until 1 a.m. for all three planets to be high enough in the sky to be seen. Mars will be the last to rise and will be the furthest planet to the east. To find Mars, look below the Pleiades and above the star Aldebaran. Mars will be 5 degrees below the Pleiades and 8 degrees above Aldebaran. Mars and Aldebaran have a similar reddish hue, but Mars will be brighter. Jupiter will be the brightest object in the sky outside of the moon this week, so he should be pretty easy to find. By the time Mars rises into view, Jupiter will be high in the southeast. Look for a bright white object in this region of the sky. Saturn will be the first planet to rise in the evenings and will be the furthest planet to the south. The ringed planet will be nearly due south when Mars is high enough above the horizon to be seen. Saturn will be the faintest of the trio and will be a golden color. Beginning around 1 a.m. this week, look from the east to the south. To see Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn arc across the sky. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future Star Talk segments, my email address is startalk at farmandcountry.org. For Farm and Country and Star Talk, this has been Keith Hubbard reminding you to keep looking up.
5: Radio Catskill and Farm and Country, this is Evan Padua, bringing you Hooked on Fishing. Happy summer, everyone. We have had some of the nicest weather this year. Blue skies and dry weather almost every day. It is now getting to the point where not just me is hoping for some rain. I am sure most folks out there are wanting a little bit of rain for your lawns, gardens, and the local streams. And well, I think the fish are hoping for some rain too. The Delaware River has been flowing low and clear most of the summer. And overall, the smallmouth bass fishing has been fantastic. These smallmouth are very active in 72 to 80 degree water temperatures, and the Delaware has been this way for about the past month. Morning and evenings, when the sun is very low in the sky, fishing surface lures and surface flies will catch the bigger bass in our Delaware River. During the sunny days, try a yellow jig head with a 3 inch swim bait or any small helgramite or minnow pattern on a fly rod you will be sure to hook a few smallmouth bass. Most other game species of fish, such as trout and walleye, are relatively dormant with these warm water temperatures and are better targeted in the spring and fall. Although, some walleye can be caught at night during the summer months, and the trout have been mostly seeking thermal refuge in the west branch of the Upper Delaware, they feed on sulfur flies and even small rodents that fall in the river at night. Fishing mouse pattern flies can be a fun way to target trout at night during the summer months for experienced anglers. This is a great time of year to snorkel in the warm waters of the Delaware and observe the aquatic life. Get out on the river before summer is over. I highly recommend it. And, well, I guess we need to start doing some rain dances. For Radio Catskill, Farm and Country, and Hooked on Fishing, this has been Evan Padua, casting off.
0: I've come to Livingston Manor today to speak with Les Gillingham, owner and operator of Wild Roots Farm. He and his family live on the farm and it's about as close to self-sustaining as you can get. Les, where did you get your education?
4: Yeah, so I graduated from the University of Maine at Fort Kent, up in northern Maine.
0: So you're an Easterner to start with?
4: Yeah, I've known this property my whole life. My parents bought this in 1957.
0: Was it just a summer house at that time?
4: It was a summer place and it was partway between where my dad had gotten a job and where my mom grew up up in Herkimer County. That's part of the story too. I grew up with my uncles and my grandfather and they were still farming with horses. Their last batch of horses, I remember as a kid, they switched over to tractors. I'm old enough to remember people living very differently When I moved here and started living here, my social events were... I used to grab a thermos of coffee and walk over the mountain because I could hear a guy who was logging the hunt club properties on the other side of the mountain here. I would hike over and have coffee with him. That was George Rogers. He was an old-school logger. He used to only log in the wintertime and only enough to pay bills and not necessarily as much money as he could make. But most of the people I socialized with when I moved here were much older. They were neighbors that had been here all their life.
0: So your folks were farmers, too?
4: My mom grew up on a farm, and my uncles had dairy farms. And I also, where I lived, I started working at a dairy farm when I was 12 years old, and I worked there until I graduated high school. And then I got out of there because so many people were moving into that area.
0: Wes, tell me about Wild Roots Farm. How big is it?
4: Right now, it's mostly a self-sufficient farm, but we used to run 150 family CSA. We were feeding 150 families here in Sullivan County, and then we also used to deliver down to Westchester County and Peekskill and over in Slate Hill we named the farm wild roots farm because we were living in an off-grid cabin and we were getting a lot of our food from foraging and we had a garden but then as our garden got bigger there's a retreat center across the street from us and they started buying vegetables from us so we made our garden even bigger and then we were like well why don't we do this and my wife had always wanted to try organic farming so we took the lease out on that piece of property in Youngsville and started a farm down there, and that grew. But we called it the Wild Roots Farm because we didn't want to get too domesticated. The farm now is mostly 10 acres. We have lots of woods around us, but we have 10 acres plus 5 acres of forest grazing for our highland cattle some people talk about grass-fed farm i have a forest-fed beef here why
0: did you give up on the csa
4: why did we give up on the csa well that wasn't our choice the field that we had leased the last time it had flooded was in 1943 at least that's what the landlord said and then we had 200 year floods and a 500 year flood in a five-year period One of those was a named hurricane, but the 500-year flood and the other one, they were just isolated storms that came and hung on the ridge over here. The last one, the 500-year flood, wiped out like 60% of the good topsoil on our field. And we had put a lot of money into that field, and it wasn't owned by us. We were just leasing it. And we watched it actually wash away and end up in Lake Jeff, just downstream. It was pretty heartbreaking, that did not make sense to just keep putting money into something that was flooding that frequently. And you know what, it's flooded a bunch of times since then. So doing mixed vegetables on that field, something like just putting corn or, or a hay crop in there, it seems to fare better than the mixed vegetables with all the open ground because of tillage or moving soil. Yeah, that wasn't our choice.
0: In summary, farming is a hard life.
4: It's physically challenging. I wouldn't say farming is a hard life. The hardest thing about farming is that people don't pay a fair price for the food. And this country subsidizes abusive farming practices, huge animal-confined operations because they can sell the beef. Like, how does a Costco... sell a $3 chicken. That just doesn't add up. For someone to be able to farm and make a living, it's a really skewed system. It makes no sense to me, just the idea that food should just keep getting cheaper and cheaper. People should be able to feed themselves and people should have equal access to food, but that doesn't equal abusing the land to make it cheap. That's what we're doing in this country. And that really became evident during the COVID. When you had Four companies in the country that owned all the meat processing and you had all these outbreaks of covid and the supply chain got messed up if we had more of a regional economy around food we would all be better for it
0: so you grow your vegetables and fruits for yourself what vegetables do
4: you grow we grow all your standard ones all the brassicas brussels sprouts cabbage collards broccoli, carrots, celery root, rutabagas, and then we put in some fancy things like fennel and a bunch of different stuff. We harvest a bunch of wild things, wild herbs and and teas, wild mint, and a bunch of different things. If you look up behind the house, there's a huge blueberry patch back there that I quote-unquote planted, but how I planted it was letting the hardhack, which is a spirea brush, grow up. We had some wild blueberry bushes here, and the birds would land in the hardhack to eat their blueberry. Well, then they would poop out the blueberry they ate an hour ago and plant the blueberry. Because it was in the brush, the deer wouldn't get to it and eat it. And then after a few years, you have a nice young bush coming up. Then I'd go back in and clear out the hardhack, And I've probably done that on two acres up in the back. And we have a couple acres of blueberries up there. So, like, right now, I had to run to town because we ran out of freezer bags to put blueberries in. And we've got blueberries and currants and gooseberries and raspberries all coming in right now. It's a little overwhelming.
0: You actually buy freezer bags? I freeze my blueberries in old peanut butter jars.
4: I don't eat enough peanut butter to do that.
0: (laughs) Actually, I was surprised when you said you grow the cabbage-type vegetables, because I get terrible slugs and these nasty little striped caterpillars. What do you do about those kinds of things?
4: I put up bluebird houses. What? Bluebirds, bluebirds eat the moths that lay those eggs that turn into the cabbage worms. I had a problem when we first did the field, the 10-acre field down in Youngsville. All of our cabbages and all were full of holes from the cabbage worm, and I put Bluebird houses all the way around that field, like every fifty or sixty feet, and I never had the whole time we were at that field. We never had problems. They were still there. You'd still get a, a little hole here or there, but the cabbage is beautiful, the broccoli is beautiful because the birds ate the worms.
0: I'm going home to build bluebird houses. What about slugs? They're really awful.
4: Again, what I just said about the bluebird. I mean, basically, you know, we don't use insecticides or anything i come to farming from having an understanding of ecological systems and understanding the interrelationships between wild things so if there's an issue like we have had problems with voles the little meadow voles the mice that you get know kind they of are. they come in and they chow on your potatoes or your beets or whatever but that means that you have to manage how much mulch you put down. If you put down a bunch of hay or straw to control the weeds, and you're trying to avoid weeding. But if you do that for a number of years, you build up the mouse population to eat your vegetables. So... Those are all kinds of things you just have to monitor all the time. And then some of that stuff fluctuates anyway. And the beauty of having a diversified farm, we don't have that many apples this year. We've grafted and planted, we've got like 20 varieties of apples, and we've got some wine saps and baldwins this year, but most of our apples are devoid. But that was because. They were so abundant last year that the trees are taking a rest. We pressed 55 gallons of cider last year, and we put many multiple garbage cans full of apples in our root cellar for the winter. And this year we're not going to have that. But I'm looking at the chestnut trees right now, and it looks like we're going to have a ton of chestnuts. And we've got a bunch of grapes coming on this year. so. The beauty of a diversified farm is, yeah, some years you don't get what you want, but you forget about it because something else is overproducing what you think you needed.
0: You said the magic word, grapes. What about Japanese beetles?
4: You know, I haven't seen one yet here this year. We've had them in other years, but I haven't seen a Japanese beetle around in a while.
0: You have chickens running around?
4: We have ducks. And I don't know, the ducks might be eating the grubs, but I was actually wondering, because I was having a conversation with another farmer about the Japanese beetles, and I was actually wondering, because this soil here is it's a real heavy hard pan underneath. I was wondering whether the last four or five years, which have been so wet, had actually been an impediment to the Japanese beetle grubs.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have my doubts. You didn't mention some of the vegetables that I think are the easiest, like lettuce and spinach. Do you grow those too? And which vegetables do you find are not successful up here?
4: Yeah, I didn't mention a whole lot of things we grow. We plant lettuce out on a regular basis. A lot of people plant their garden in the spring and then expect to have lettuce all summer long. Well, you need to plant lettuce out every couple weeks. You gotta have fresh lettuce coming in all the time. The thing to me, we're at 2,000 feet. The biggest pain in the neck to grow here is tomatoes. So we grow most all of our tomatoes in the hoop house. It's an unheated greenhouse, plastic greenhouse. Tomatoes just don't ripen well here. We're kind of on the north side of a ridge at 2,000 feet. yeah, when we put them out in the garden, we get a lot of green tomatoes come September. But by growing them in the hoop house, we get ripe tomatoes. And
0: On the other hand, the sugar snap peas were great this year. I've got a ton in the freezer. Do you grow those?
4: Yep, we grow snow peas, sugar snaps, and then we also grow some regular peas that we freeze. Do
0: you have big machinery to help you with your farming, or do you do it all by hand?
4: We have a tractor, and I use the tractor. We don't rototill the garden every year, but we have to repurpose beds and things every once in a while. So I, you know, I have a five-foot rototiller on the back of the tractor for, for some of that. But some years we will broad fork the whole thing. That helps with weeds, and it's better for the soil and for various things. And then because of the animals, I haul hay from a neighbor's farm. We have a hay elevator in the barn. And the cool thing in the summer, we run the hay elevator basically off of our batteries, which is so it's a solar-powered hay elevator. I have an electric chainsaw. I have a regular chainsaw, too, if if the electric one isn't enough for the tree. But I try to use the electric chainsaw, so I'm using a solar-powered chainsaw most of the time. So, yeah, we use equipment and modern equipment. We're not doing everything by hand.
0: What animals do you have on your farm list?
4: We have ducks and sheep, and right now we're raising 50 meat birds. When we move the fence around and move them around, they do, again, soil improvement, and that's the 50 chickens we will be eating over the course of the year. Right now we only have one Scottish Highland, but we've always had a bunch of Highlands. All of the sheep and cows, we tend to have heritage breeds, much more older style breeds. Scottish Highland cattle are one of the oldest breeds of cattle in the world. They're incredibly hardy. They can survive here because this is the marginal farmland. They would eat things that the average Holstein won't. They'll walk past clover to go eat hard hack and blackberries.
0: Also, the video I saw online showed you bottle feeding one of the lambs do you have to bottle feed them
4: no we don't normally bottle feed we had a bottle feed one baby we had a sheep that had three lambs and she didn't really have enough milk for all three of them so we were bottle feeding one of them sometimes there's just some issues that come up where you have to bottle feed my daughter always wants to bottle feed one of them just so to make them more friendly
0: then you have a little lamb following you around all the time
4: Yeah, well, our sheep are pretty friendly anyway because we move them regularly. We do rotational grazing, so they're in these small paddock areas, and we move them every few days, so they're constantly used to us being around. And then when they're lambs, they're pretty impressionable, so they get used to it. They'll come up and paw at you, or I guess technically hoof at you.
0: (laughs) Can people come to visit your farm to learn about how you handle food self-sufficiency
4: yeah and those are the programs that my daughter does so you can go to growwildroots.com and look at the programs offered you need to schedule a program we're not just open to the public all the time
0: your wife is involved in this endeavor as well what does she do
4: well she's more than just involved she is the center of the farm in a lot of ways she's been able to do a lot of the the work. When I started Mountain Keeper, I started having to do some work off the farm, and she picked up a lot of it. But She's always been the person that thinks about storing things for the winter. So figuring out what's going in the root cellar and how many rutabagas to plant or how many cabbage to plant. Plus, she dries all summer long. She dries herbs, that both medicinal herbs, also teas and salves and lip balms. She makes all that stuff. She cans something. We make dilly beans. We don't do a lot of canning. It's really labor-intensive and energy-intensive to do canning. And when you have a root cellar, it's pretty simple to just put something in a garbage can in your root cellar, and it's good all winter. And you're eating basically a fresh vegetable out of the root cellar. So we don't do a lot of canning and freezing of things. And she's out running around picking berries. The big thing that she does more than anything is... She adds spice and variety to the food that we're eating. She thinks about planting something. It might not be the easiest thing to grow here, but like I mentioned fennel before, it's like one time a year we have this fennel dinner and it's just like, it's a real big treat. She grows kohlrabi, which isn't necessarily a space-efficient crop, but it's a really, she makes these meatballs and kohlrabi dishes. It's a mark in the calendar. And I think that's the thing that people really miss out on by just having access to everything in the grocery store is the treat it is when you grow and process something special. It's something to look forward to. And it's associated with a certain time of the year. It's real celebratory to eat it and pleasurable versus, yeah, we can get anything we want. What do you want for supper? I'm going to the grocery store. And then the other thing is, it just, when we're growing it and doing it ourselves it's always taste better
0: i'll have to ask amy for some recipes especially what in the world she does with coal lobby. i have no idea
4: yeah it's delicious i'll just say that
0: hmm. so now you know a bit about what it takes to grow your own food our expert on living off the land has been wes gillingham owner and operator of wild roots farm in livingston manor if you have ideas for future Now You Know segments, email me at stephanie at This has been Stephanie Phillips for Farm and Country.
1: Hope that you enjoyed our show this week with production by Radio Catskill volunteers, Keith Hubbard, Evan Padua, and Stephanie Phillips. Special thanks goes to our guest, Wes Gillingham, from Wild Roots Farm in Livingston Manor. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening local to farming country and financially supporting Radio Catskill, public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. DamascusCitizens.org Radio Catskill's amazing August online auction is underway featuring exciting items and experiences from local businesses axe throwing for two at the Catskill Outdoorsman, overnight stay at the Settlers Inn, Woolworth Private Needlecraft Lessons Jazz Piano Lesson with Neil Kirkwood bid at wjffradio.org did win support Radio Catskill. If you hear good music, you're listening to Radio Catskill. Your weekend can't even begin until Clyde Alvin Yates III
3: sets it off Saturday night at 7. At 9, an hour of global sounds from the African diaspora on Afropop. Then at 10, selector Starkey and DJ Chuck spend four
1: hours of funk, hip-hop, roots, reggae, club classics, and more live on Old School Sessions. Saturday nights, only on Radio Catskill. This is dangerous.
5: Good morning, welcome
1: to